state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. Lejean in a quarterback from Maryland. Looking at third and nine out with the 30-yard line. Lejean gets the snap. Gets hit. Dropped. Oh, what a sack. Big time hit by JoJo Doman. Back at the 21-yard line. Doman's second sack of the year. Sports Nightly during the holidays is presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family. With over 6,000 new and pre-owned vehicles in stock, visit woodhouse.com to browse the entire inventory. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Ben McLaughlin and Nate Rohr. So a lot of times on this show, when we talk about games, we talk about, you know, big moments. We talk about that word pressure, Mm -hmm. right? Who, Who can hit the big shot? Who can make the big play? Who can come up with the big hit? In that pressure situation. Yes. I like to feel like that's what I just did back with our gingerbread competition. <laughs> I mean, you talk about having to make decisions on the fly. Mm-hmm. Try judging four gingerbread houses in a minute forty-eight seconds. Wow. I mean, uh, I mean, you're having to you're having to to look at you know construction, creativity, um, execution. Attention to detail. Yeah, all that stuff. And, and it, it, vision. Honestly, it just you. I'm a little rattled to start the show. To be honest, I mean, I, I feel it, like I needed a lot more time to uh, determine a winner. But you did determine a winner. I did. And and I think if you asked me to reorder them in the order that I picked, I'd probably tell you wrong because <laughs> that, that's kind of where I was at. Did you judge it? I I didn't. I didn't even see him. Uh, I, I know our hardworking Husker Sports Network interns are celebrating the holiday. I did not see the, the gingerbread houses. I'm sure they're great. Uh, my, my beautiful wife, Ellie, who's in North Carolina right now, so I can really go to town. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, she... Are you, wait, so you're batching it right now? Well, uh, I've you, gone... You've th- got the child? Uh, the boy is down with his, his grandparents and Beatrice. Given, so given wife's in North season. Carolina, baby Bobby's in, in Beatrice. What, what are you? What, you just got free reign of the house, or what? No, no, no. I, I'm seeing my folks this week, the second half of the week too. But to, to bring it back to what we were talking about, right? <laughs> um, my my wife has been mainlining the holiday baking championship, and, okay. and and I'm sorry. After about the second or third episode, it's like okay, it's really good and it probably tastes good. I don't care that the fondant went a little off the edge. <laughs> so so it's probably for the best that they didn't have me back there judging <laughs> judging the gingerbread. It would be, well, that looks good. That looks good. That looks pretty good too. <laughs> that one looks like it might taste a slight bit better. You went. Yeah, man. I mean, that's – so and we're way off topic to start here, but – so my family, the last, I think this is about to be the third year that mm-hmm. we've done this. On Christmas Eve, we're, we, it's, it's a new tradition that we uh, have a gingerbread house competition. Mm. So my wife, myself, my sister, her husband, my parents all make a gingerbread house, right? Yeah. And we vote on which one's the best. Well, last year I completely got jobbed because... <laughs> They know how competitive I am, uh-huh. and when you're building gingerbread houses, you can see what's going on. So it's not a surprise who how whose house is who by the time that you're finished. Mm-hmm. Well, they all purposely voted mine last place, even though it was clearly the best one on the table. Oh, absolutely. Maybe second best to my wife, which which was one, and I and I'm proud. 
Um, if I can't win, I, I want her to win. But you, you got to keep the title in the purposely, house. Right? Purposely drug my house through the mud just because they knew, knew what was going on. So this year, we're, we're taking it to Twitter. Oh, wow. I, I'm posting the, the pictures of them on the Twitter, and the people are going to vote. I, I'm looking forward to that more than I am to what Santa leaves me under the tree. <laughs> yeah. And considering my uh, wish list for the year, it, I, I got big expectations for Santa this year. Yeah. Well, good for you. And I'm sure Bobby does too. And uh, yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Are you going to relay that message up north or what? Hey, we got some work to do. <laughs> okay. Welcome to the show tonight. Uh, we got a lot to talk about other than uh, gingerbread houses and what's to be left under the tree. Huskers got a little gift under their tree today with a commitment. Finally, a commitment for uh, Scott Frost and the Husker football team. Middle linebacker Ateva Malga Clements commits junior college player from uh, the state of California. We'll get into that, what it can mean here in just a little while. Michael Brunts of 24-7 Sports will stop by and tell us a little bit about this young man and kind of the, the status of of where uh, the Huskers are in recruiting right now. And, you know, with just a week left until the signing period, obviously the Big Red turning their attention and cranking up the heat before uh, a lot of these prospects sign their LOIs and are off the table for good. So um, Michael Brunts will stop by. We'll talk some Husker hoops with him as well. Obviously, the Huskers have Big Ten played coming up this week, and things are not going to get any easier for them after the the road defeat to Creighton. Uh, they're going to have to turn it on and play much better than they did last weekend. So we'll get Brunson's thoughts on what he's seen from that group and how they've responded. Coming up in Hour 2 of the show, winter meetings happening out in San Diego for Major League Baseball. Big news last night as Garrett Cole signs a nine-year deal with the New York Yankees worth about $36 million per year and opt-out after five. So huge, huge signing in Major League Baseball uh, last night, late last night. I think it was about 10 o'clock when that got done. We'll get Lane's thoughts on some of the signings, Steven Strasburg, uh, the rule changing, of course. Major League Baseball coming to Omaha for the draft. Excited about that, and it was just a natural thing. It was kind of kind of tells you all you need to know about the lords of the game of baseball that it took them this long to realize, hey, rather than holding the draft in some TV studio, let's have it in the town where the eight best teams in the level of baseball just below ours are and where there are hundreds and thousands of youth baseball players in the area during that time period so it's totally natural it's about time baseball got out of its own way in this respect and and they got this one right i'll be interested to see the logistics especially next year because uh the chi health center is booked with the swim trials will they have it at the ballpark will they have it like a street fair i don't know but I know as a Royals fan, I'll be excited. Uh, depending on the duties that are called upon me here, I'll probably be there and cheer or boo whoever <laughs> becomes a Royal. It's, it's just an exciting thing to, to be back and have Major League Baseball presence in Omaha. Last year, the Royals and Tigers played at TD Ameritrade. And just have that, I think, uh, is just a huge benefit um, to the city of Omaha. And, and I think you know the people there are going are gonna to treat it like a big event. And I think Major League Baseball will be pleased with that as well. So that that's a good thing. And the other good thing is enough of this f- players, college players, finding out they're being drafted oh, when they're terrible. playing games. I mean, th- these kids are having their dreams come true. Uh, hopefully multiple dreams come true. You know, playing mm-hmm. in a regional, trying to play for a championship. But 
not being able to be around your phone and finding out that you've been you've been picked to go to the Mariners and, right. and, and you have people telling you in the dugout after you fly out to center field. Yeah, it, it, that's the worst. You're, you know, you're not just playing games. You're not just playing Northern Colorado on a Tuesday night. You're playing the biggest games you've ever played in the thing you've worked the hardest at in your entire life. So biggest moment, really two of the biggest moments in, in your life intersecting and distracting you, really. You know, the where you're getting drafted, where what your professional future might be distracting you from you know, the job that you need to do for your team and your teammates in huge games and important games. And, and so I, I, that's another benefit to this, that Major League Baseball has some sensitivity to the guys that are joining their ranks and going, we can't screw up 16 teams' seasons so that a guy can get out to Missoula one day quicker, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. But Lindgren will stop by and we'll kind of touch on some Major League Baseball and um, you know what's what's going to be next for for him as spring training just about two months away already. In the third hour of the show, buy sell comes your way. This is the first uh, first I don't know episode, first edition after our first season. Mm -hmm. So season two getting underway tonight, and Husker volleyball uh, presence tonight as well. Maddie Kubik, Husker freshman, uh, had chance to be All American. Uh, we we're able to catch up with her before the team took off for Wisconsin. So. Um, obviously huge huge week for Husker Volleyball we had head coach John Cook and John Baylor in studio last night for an hour and this is this is the time of year for Husker Volleyball to really get it going and you know hopefully make another run to the final four and it'll, it'll, it's a monumental task obviously you have to get by Hawaii first but um, the Badgers loom and the Huskers haven't taken a set from them yet this year so to go uh, do that and do it on their home floor would be a huge challenge and they would earn their way to Pittsburgh where the final four is this year yeah somehow the final four keeps ending up in Big Ten territory I wonder why that is yeah I don't know uh, but yeah Pittsburgh's where the uh, where the final four is and hopefully the Huskers can be a part of that as well 866 Husker won the number 866-487-5371 the number if you want to be a part of the show tonight dial us up on our Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Husker commit today. Ateva Mauga Clements, 6'2", 210-pound linebacker. Um, by all accounts, Nate, this is an interesting prospect, not in terms of stars, uh, schools of interest, or even commit story for that matter, but more so of the, the body transformation that he's made. From what I've read on this young man today, he was 160-pound defensive back at one point, and uh, he grew four inches and put on about 40 to 50 pounds. So just tremendous body transformation for this guy to you know, basically go from uh, a dude that walks off the bus and you go, eh, to – a guy that can, you know, be a real force with with how he looks and how he plays. So, uh, and in a position of need for the Big Red in a big way. Well, and once the decommitment of Rodney Gross, need 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 some linebackers. For now, we bring on good friend of the program, Michael Brunts, twenty four seven Sports. Bruncey, it's been a while, man. How are things going with you? A's fan still, I'm assuming. Broncos, a uh, big part of your life. Also, your daughter running around getting ready for Christmas. I'm guessing everything's good, yeah. You, uh, I think you just 
caught everybody up. I mean, that's a pretty good summation of where things <laughs> where things stand. <laughs> that's great. And you're probably so you're a coffee guy this time of year, right? I'm always a coffee guy. I'm more of a coffee guy this time of year. So it uh, it ramps up, and uh, you kind of get the the week around Christmas and. Uh, before New Year's to kind of come down from that and get ready for the second run-up to signing day in February. So it's a, it's a caffeine roller coaster this time of year, Ben. No question about it. Well, let's just kind of start with your assessment right now of where Nebraska's at. Obviously some good news today with a commitment, but um, with, a, with a lot of names yet to, uh, to, to pledge their commitment to Nebraska with about a week left, where, where are you at right now in, in, in comfort level with numbers with this, with this class? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how everything kind of shakes out. Nebraska is at 15 right now uh, after the commitment today. Uh, Lager Clements, a JUCO linebacker out of California. Uh, Nebraska can take up to 26 uh, in this class. Uh, and it's you're not going to get them all uh, by by uh, next next week. Um, I think you know you're probably looking at you know, 20, 21 um, guys that they probably are looking at signing uh, next week and then you've got a few more probably in the February signing date and the thing to keep in mind too you, you kind of want I think if you're in Nebraska to keep a couple spots open for the spring because the, the transfer portal has really kind of become a not a waiver wire so to speak but just kind of like a, another part of the recruiting calendar now where guys, you know, are looking for places to land. And, and you saw last year with a guy like Darian Daniels, kind of, I know is another example where you can find some guys who can come in and help you right away. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Nebraska leave at least a couple spots open uh, to allow them to kind of dip into the portal and, and see who's there uh, in the spring. So They've got some work to do. Um, a lot of the, the guys that they're in on right now are going to be making, uh, are basically, you know, still make, making visits this weekend to various schools, some in Nebraska. Uh, and, and, you know, I think early next week it's going to be pretty, pretty busy uh, for Nebraska in terms of some of those decisions. Bruncey, we saw uh, an increase from year one to year two in the December signing period with the percentage of athletes that, that committed. Are we expecting uh, another jump this year, right around that 80, 85 uh, percent of the, of the high school kids committing or, or signing their LOIs in December? Or are you expecting a step back? Where are you expecting that number to be this year? I, I think it'll probably be right about the same. I mean, I think, you know, what we kind of learned last year was that, you know, the 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 quote-unquote early signing period kind of became, you know, the signing period. Um, you know, guys who have been committed for a long time, uh, there's no reason for them, if, if they're comfortable with where they're going, to, you know, go ahead and end it and, and sign that letter of intent. Uh, you know, I think schools, if a guy's committed, they, they want to know what their number count is in, in December and kind of what they have to do. Uh, you know, in in January and, and the start of February to kind of finish out their class. So, you know, I, I think, you know, it's probably going to be about the same, but, you know, what, what that does is if you have spots still to fill uh, once you get into to January and February, last year it was a lot of, of a lot of schools going after a very small number of prospects who were still unsigned. So it gets much more competitive. Uh, with the way the recruiting calendar is this year, you only have two official visit weekends in December. So a lot of these schools that made coaching changes and are just now hiring coaches, 
uh, they're going to really be uh, under a lot of pressure in January and February to fill out their class. So it, it, it's going to be, I, I think, uh, you know, kind of a fight in a phone booth for some of these uh, recruits uh, in January and February. So that, that's, I, I think that's kind of what it's going to look like. Uh, and like I said, I mean, I just think a lot of schools and prospects are now looking at that December date as the true signing day and not February like it had been previously. Yeah, I'm talking with Michael Bruns, 24-7 Sports here on Sports Nightly. Well, you, we talked about the commit already. Obviously, inside linebacker is is a, is a spot that, that needed to be filled and some good news today on that front. Sounds like uh, this young man's put on some size the last year, year or so, probably made him a little bit more attractive to some some other places. Yeah, kind of an interesting story. Uh, you know, Teva Mara Clements, I want to make sure I pronounce that right. Um, he, you know, was a 160-pound defensive back, originally from American Samoa, went to the junior college route in Northern California, and, you know, really started adding weight, grew another uh, two and a half inches. And, you know, you turn his film on, and you can see a really athletic kid, uh, a, a kid that was really moved all over, uh, the defensive formations in a 3-4 setting, so he's comfortable there. But uh, a guy that Nebraska offered in October when they kind of had their, their run of junior college uh, linebacker offers, and, and you kind of hit on the inside linebacker piece of it, uh, Nebraska was looking for a guy who could come in right away, uh, really cover in space, but also uh, have the, the strength and, and the, the physicality to be able to, to stop the run as well. So that's kind of what they're getting here. Um, and, you know, a kid that was, you know, you, you, you don't have a ton of guys that really fly under the radar anymore, but I think that's definitely the case with what happened here just because of, you know, how much he grew in a little over two years and the fact that, uh, you know, he didn't really put the put that stuff on film until uh, later this fall. So, uh, you know, I, I think Nebraska probably got a little bit of a steal there, but they, they found him. They got him out for an official visit last week, and he committed – uh, last night with a phone call to Scott Frost. That's amazing news, uh, news that this coaching staff needed to hear, and, and hopefully that, that domino effect that happens so much in recruiting uh, continues to go for the Big Red. Talk with Michael Brunts here on Sports Nightly. Brunts, let's switch gears and talk about some hoops. I know it was a rough going for Fred Hoiberg's bunch in Omaha against the Creighton Blue Jays. We expected uh, some ups and a lot of downs, and it's certainly been that so far before here conference play. What's been your takeaway from what you've uh, heard from the coaches and players since that Creighton game and, and kind of where the team's at right now getting ready to head into just it's going to be another relentless conference season? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think they're looking at that, that game against Creighton as a bit of a, uh, a learning experience. Um, you know, I feel like there's going to be a lot of those um, in Big Ten play this year. But, you know, the, I, I think what you saw in that game was you saw a team that was, you know, still a, a group of new guys learning to play together. And, you know, you, you saw some of communication issues uh, on defense. I know that uh, Fred Hoiberg was a little bit frustrated with, uh, how his team kind of handled the, the transition game in, in the first half uh, against Creighton. So, you know, it's Nebraska. I think I, I think Fred Hoiberg and the staff feels like they're going to be able to score points. It's just a matter of can they get enough stops on defense to really kind of get that uh, transition game charged up and, and try to run teams out of the gym, which is what they want to do. Um, you know, I, I think you're starting to see, uh, you know, some guys, you know, Shooting a little bit better, Matej Kavas seems to have found his shot 
uh, in recent games, and, and I think that's positive. But uh, you, you kind of hit on the strength of the Big Ten this year, and, and you know to have to start out right away with Indiana and Purdue, and you know the the teams that you would normally kind of say are in the the bottom half of the Big Ten this year still look like pretty difficult uh, outs night in and night out. So they're definitely going to have their hands full uh, going forward. If you're this staff, how do you balance the flash, athleticism, and skill of some of these guys compared to a guy, guys that aren't as flashy, that, that are more fundamentally sound and have that basketball IQ but less athletic? I'm talking about guys like Thor and, and maybe even Charlie Easley who can come in and they're not going to make the highlight reel dunk or the flashy behind-the-back passes like guys like Cam Mack can or Gervais Green can, but you know you're going to get maximum effort, and, and as a coach you can trust them. Well, and, and you mentioned four, and I think he's really impressed this staff with uh, just the fact that, you know, offensively, defensively, uh, he makes winning plays. Um, when you kind of look at the plus-minus at the end of the game, I, I think a lot this year, and it's already been the case already, that he's going to be towards the top uh, for Nebraska just because of the fact that he's comfortable playing and, and more of a transition offense. He understands uh, the, the need to... Uh, communicate on defense and, and where he's supposed to be. And I, I think when you have a group of uh, new guys uh, trying to play together for the first time, I mean, you, you really have to lean pretty hard on, on guys like that. So I expect that uh, he's going to play uh, more than he has been. I, I think you've seen uh, whenever he comes into games, he provides a little bit of a spark uh, with a nice pass or a good cut or, or something like that. He just makes winning plays. So, I think you're going to need more of that uh, with Samari Curtis moving on. That that opens uh, potentially some minutes for Charlie Easley, who you mentioned as well. So, uh, you know, I, I think going forward, you're going to see more of Thor in that rotation just because uh, he's somebody that they can count on, uh, a guy that's steady, and uh, that's kind of what they need right now is somebody that can do that with regularity. No question. Well, man, it's hard, hard to say, but we are uh, just about two months from baseball season. You ready for that? It's, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe. It, it, it's almost here already. I know it. Year one under Coach Bolt will be here in about two months. You have recruiting this week. Hoops, you're a busy guy. I, mean, I hope they're taking care of you over there at 24-7 Sports because uh, you wear many hats and you wear them well. Michael Brunts, 24-7 Sports with us. Appreciate it, man. Have a great holiday. Hopefully the, the, the daughter is filled with joy and, uh, and, some, and some quiet nights for you and mom, and you can get through that, and recruiting will be over here before you know it. I appreciate that, Ben, and I also hope that uh, my Broncos can give your Chiefs a little bit of a uh, run for their money this week as well. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Bruncey, appreciate it, man. Thanks, Ben. Talk some Husker football, Husker basketball already. Let's switch some gears and talk Major League Baseball. His voice will sound familiar. And that ball's gone. Bye-bye baseball. His knowledge is endless. He looked so fast. It was unbelievable. He's our Major League Baseball insider. Just ate a brownie, so I'm ready to go. Lane Grindle. Well, one season comes to a close, and one season starts, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Start the start of the winter meetings, which means time to talk with our friend Mr. Lane Grindle. Okay, for those that, that hear winter meetings, there might be some casual baseball fans. What does that mean? Well, winter meetings are basically all the executives, um, including the manager, the general manager, almost everybody in the front office. Um, and I'm not just talking about the baseball side of things. I mean, you, you know, your PR people. Um, everybody kind of you know, descends upon 
whatever market is hosting it this year it's san diego it's been vegas in the past it was vegas last year it's been orlando um it was actually in 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 basically in dc a few years ago as well so um everybody kind of uh all gets together in the same location and because of all that what you have is a lot of player movement uh, a lot of stuff gets done at the winter meetings it's it starts on monday it wraps up on thursday essentially with the rule five draft and um, you got a lot of trades that typically go down. You have a lot of free agent deals that get done at the winter meetings. It's just kind of become this tradition where um, all this activity is happening at the same time, and it brings a lot of attention to the sport in a time of period, you know, in a time period where there isn't a lot of attention on the sport. December is not typically, you know, where baseball is on everybody's mind. So uh, last year there wasn't much player activity at the winter meetings. There were a lot of people disappointed in that, and I think the game really believes that it's good for the game when all this stuff is going on at the same time because it, it generates headlines and, and, it, and it puts baseball in the news. Yeah, and certainly uh, a bombshell last night, and it kind of happened pretty quickly. Rumors of Garrett Cole going to New York, and you know, once they have a somebody that they want in their sights, it seems like it's only a matter of time, and, and Garrett Cole signs a, a nine-year deal. What was your reaction to this? Obviously no surprise that, that Houston was unable to, to hold on to him with everybody that, on that payroll, but uh, Garrett Cole, the Yankees, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's what we all anticipated. Um, we've been speculating that Garrett Cole is going to be a Yankee well before the season ended. I think most people thought this is what would end up happening because we knew he was going to get a record type of deal um, because of his mechanics and everything else. A lot of people feel like his, he's got as good a chance as anybody. You can never predict injuries, but I think people feel like he's going to age. Well, he's not going to be a guy that, that puts himself at huge risk for injury. You know, um, you hate to say that because you don't want to curse somebody, but um, just because of his mechanics, a lot of people think he's a safer bet to stay healthy over the long term. Um, so, you know, we're going to see if that all comes to fruition or not. You know, a couple of years ago, Garrett Cole was just this guy in Pittsburgh that people thought wasn't living up to maybe what his potential was. And he gets to Houston and now he's the arm in baseball that everybody wanted. Um, I'm not totally surprised as the Yankees. We all anticipated it was going to be that. I wouldn't have done that deal if I was about 29 other teams. I understand why the Yankees did it. And I don't think they're wrong for doing it the Yankees can do that they can they can give a guy nine years at 36 per and get four good years out of it and it's still worth it it might mean that they win a couple of world series and if that's what it means it's probably worth it and um, they're capable of of dealing with a bad contract on the back end of a deal like that a lot better than other teams can because they they generate a lot of revenue and they have a lot of revenue to, to, to play with. So um, I like to deal for the Yankees because it gives them another stud. They already had a world series capable team. This is the cherry on top. They don't have a lot of other moves. They got to go out and make. And um, so I think it made perfect sense for them. Not surprised. They went and got their guy and, um, they're they're the favorites right now. I mean, and they, and they should be with the roster they've assembled. From one World Series team to the reigning champs, they they had a big decision to make too. Offense with Rendon or pitching with Strasburg. They they went the pitching with Strasburg, who gets overshadowed because of uh, the other guy that he competes with in that rotation and Max Scherzer. But 
Uh, were you surprised at all that that's who they chose? Was it a, was it a strictly a numbers thing? Was it a, a, a sabermetric statistical thing? What, what, what do you think was the difference in Washington wanting to sign Strasburg over Rendon? Well, starting pitching so hard to find. Dominant starting pitch. I mean, there just aren't that many true number ones uh, in the game. I mean, I, I think, you know, you're really thinking less than 10, I think, like true dominant aces in the game, and Strasburg's one of them. And thus, when you have a guy like that that you've invested so much into over the years and development and everything else, you want to keep him. And he performed in the postseason this year, obviously, at a, at a really good level. When you have Scherzer and Strasburg as one and two, you feel like you got a shot in any series. I mean, um, it, it makes it tough because a lot of teams are staring at 0-2 before they can even get into the series at that point. So I think that's probably why they went that direction. Now, I like Anthony Rendon a lot. I think he's one of the most underrated players in our game. Um, we'll see when he signs his contract. It's going to be hard to say undervalued anymore, I think, because he's going to get paid with this new deal. Um, I, I don't know that you could have gone wrong with either one, to be honest with you. I think they just they went with the adage of starting pitching. In Elite starting pitching is so hard to find, and so they wanted to hold on to the guy that they had to, to continue to pair him and Scherzer at the top of the rotation. And don't forget they've got Patrick Corbin yes. as their number three. That's pretty good, too. And um, if they've got to replace Rendon with multiple bats, then that's probably what they'll have to do is piece together some different ways to replace some of that production in their lineup. But um, certainly I think it'll be hard for them to see either one of those guys go. It's going to be Rendon that most likely goes. And obviously Strasburg's not. But uh, I think Rendon's a tremendous clubhouse guy, tremendous leader, just a good, complete baseball player. I, I, that's that's really hard to replace a guy like that. Yeah, I was really glad to see, you know, from, from one standpoint, the, the Nationals do well because of how good of a season he had. Um, awful hard to overlook somebody who performs like that in the World Series and certainly uh, add a lot of value to his name. Well, you mentioned Strasburg kind of going through the ranks and, and you know going through the system of Washington. Speaking of the system and the draft, good news for us here in Omaha. That was announced that the Major League Baseball draft was coming here to Nebraska. What's been the reaction to people in the Major League world? You can only imagine the reaction to people here about the excitement, but of that event coming here to Nebraska. Yeah, I think people in Major League Baseball are glad that this is happening. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, you, know, you you put it in June right before the World the College World Series, and you have those guys already there. There's already a little bit of a buzz about the event. I think you'll get a lot of bystanders that'll make their way in to the draft. Uh, I think that in the first couple of years alone, you're just going to have enough people in the in the Omaha area that are curious about it to kind of have that baseball bug because the CWS is getting ready to start up. Um, if the local teams are relevant, Nebraska and Creighton and, and, and Omaha, that even helps that much more. Um, you know, if, if you have guy, uh, teams like that that are playing in, in, in regionals and super regionals and things of that nature, it just kind of it captures the attention of people. But I, I, think, I think it's good. I, it, look, Omaha does events really well. Um, look at what they've done at the swim trial. I mean, it's not just the College World Series. Look what they've done at the swim trials. Every time the NCAA basketball tournament, the volleyball tournament comes to Omaha, um, there's very few places that can get on that same level. And I think this will be another one of those things for Omaha and that area um, that you're going to see them do a great job with. And, and I'm excited about it. I hope we continue to see um, some Major League Baseball games played there over the course of that week, too, like we saw last year with the Tigers and the Royals. 
I think that would be a tremendous thing. Um, but I, I, I mean, obviously, I'm very excited about it. But I'm very biased, and, and I love the area, and I grew up in the area, so uh, I think it's really cool. Um, depending on how my schedule shakes out, one of these years I may come back for the draft if it continues to be in Omaha, um, just to, to to be able to see see it and be there and 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 be around it. But um, I think it's great for Omaha. I know they'll do a really nice job with it, and I think it makes more sense for the athletes too. I mean, I think. Um, getting this thing lined up the right way now where you're not going to have players on the field getting drafted on, on a Monday while they're in the middle of a Super Regional, I think that only benefits everybody. No question. It's, 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 the dates certainly needed to change, but to have it here in Omaha is even better. Lane, before we let you go, uh, I have to imagine there's a fair amount of conversation at, at these meetings about some of the rule changes that are that are coming this isn't something that we've talked about a lot with baseball but in recent years there, there have been some changes to the game what are you expecting the the, the changes with you know the pitchers now having required to, to face three batters and um, you know some of these other conversations that are having revolved around the rules of the game well the, the two big ones for next year well three really the, the biggest one in terms of how the game's played is going to be the three batter minimum for these pitchers and it looks like it's going to go into effect there was some pushback, maybe hoping they could change it to two batter minimum, but that it's going to stay at three batter minimum. I do think that will increase the speed of some of these games, especially late in games when you have managers playing more matchup. But I also think it takes a little bit of the strategy out of it, which was kind of fun. Uh, the cat and mouse, the, the chess game between managers, it's pretty cool. And I think it's, it's, it's pretty fun. I remember a moment last year where Josh Hader was on the mound and uh, he, he, runs through the Cubs in in the I think it was in the top of the eighth inning and it's the bottom of the eighth inning and his spots up and he's already thrown I think at that point one and two thirds innings and everybody's going oh are they going to let Josh Hader finish this game or not his spots coming up and so Craig Council uh, puts a batter out there on the on deck circle in, in, in Hader's spot and there's this great you know capture of 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 Craig Council and there's this great TV capture of Joe Madden and uh, Joe Madden's drinking an orange juice and all of a sudden now the spot's up and Josh Hader emerges out of the dugout with a helmet on and he goes and hits for himself and Madden raises the orange juice to, to Council because he knew he knows he tried to get him uh, but Madden didn't go there he didn't go try to get you know somebody else into the game um, so, you know, it, 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 and he didn't walk anybody, you know, so it was just, it, it was a good situation. So, um, I, I think that part of the game's fun, but, um, this could take some of that out of it. I mean, that's not necessarily a situation that totally applies to what we're talking about, but it could take some of that strategy out of it, but there could be some, some reciprocal strategy that comes into play. I mean, if you've got a lefty, uh, you know, ready to go out of your bullpen and you've got lefty righty coming up um and there's only one out um you, you're gonna say okay well i'm gonna go get the lefty because he only has to fin- or i'm sorry there's two outs you, well, i'll go get the lefty because he's only got to get out of the innings so he's only got one out to get but what if there's like you know two righties behind that lefty and he doesn't get the lefty out now he's got to stay in there and yeah. face those two righties and he's into a predicament so um this is going to be fascinating. I think it's going to be challenging on us as broadcasters, to be honest with you, to try to figure out, you know, what your options are in these moments and, and how these managers want to play these things. And I think it's going to even be challenging for a while. And, you know, the managers are going to figure out how they want to do some of these things. But I think the biggest effect that it has is on 
Um, guys like Alex Claudio of the Brewers, who was non-tendered, and you kind of thought when he got non-tendered, uh, that's probably because of the rule change, because he's kind of a lefty specialist. Um, but now the Brewers are bringing him back in spite of that because they, they felt he was good enough against right-handers that his value against lefties can still be important uh, to the Brewers' bullpen. But um, So that's going to be a big one. The other two is the 26-man roster now. It uh, sounds like they're going to cap it at 13 pitchers, so that won't change the amount of arms you have available because so many people are carrying eight relievers right now um, as it is. But um, that, that, that's certainly going to be a change. And then the other part is September. You're not going to be able to go all the way to 40 anymore. And um, that, that impacts the club that I follow uh, and cover and work for significantly because that's what the Brewers have been masters at in September over the last couple of years, catching the Cubs in the 2018 season basically because of the depth. And then uh, last year making that amazing run in September into a postseason berth again because they could just – run a million guys out there and pinch hit as many guys as they needed to and use as many arms as they needed to. Now with the 28-man September roster, it's going to be a lot harder to do. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. It might take some some uh, time for the learning curve to settle, for people to kind of know how this is going to affect you. It'll be interesting to see. Lane Grindle, our Major League Baseball insider with us on Sports Nightly. Thanks, man. Enjoyed it. Um, to enjoy your off season. It's probably going to come and go here before you know it, and you'll be right back down in the, in the desert. Yeah, you get to you get to Christmas, and then it, it basically just feels like you're waiting for the season to start at that point. So we're getting there. It's going to be good. Wednesday night edition of Sports Nightly. I'm Nate Rohr along with Ben McLaughlin. And Husker Volleyball in action on a Friday, the third round, the regional semifinal round of the NCAA Volleyball Tournament. The Huskers taking on the Hawaii Rainbow Wahine. We had a chance to chat with Matty Kubik, a freshman outside hitter for the Huskers. And I started the conversation by asking her, how did NCAA tournament play feel different than the regular season? Um, I mean, every night's a big night in the Big Ten, but coaches kind of talked about how there's a different energy when the NCAA tournament starts and how everyone has a little bit more excitement, um, jitter, jitteriness, mm-hmm. I guess, at the beginning of the matches. So just kind of working through that and being able to um, play confidently. You were able to do that, double-digit kills both games, a double-double against uh, Mizzou. Did it take you very long to settle in and feel comfortable out there and and feel like it was just another match? Um, I think we kind of stressed that at the beginning, just going out and taking um, big hard swings and um, focusing on each other from the beginning. So I think when we were doing that, we were really comfortable. You guys had a fairly easy time with Ball State in the first round of the tournament, but then faced a Missouri team that was able to take a set from you, set one. How did that change the conversation in the huddle and how you guys were talking with each other as you prepared to go through the middle part of that match? Well, I think from the beginning we knew that Mizzou was going to um, come out battling and they, don't, they didn't have anything to lose. Obviously, that goes for every single team that we're playing um, at this point, but we knew from the beginning that they were going to be a good team and we were going to have to really work through it and play together to beat them. You guys put together a nice second set win by five, but then Missouri comes out with that hot start in set three. How important was it to answer them when that thing was at 10-4 in the third? Um, I think it was really important for us to come together and really capitalize in that third set and try to keep the momentum after we won the second. Um, 
I'm glad that we were able to play really mentally tough in the big points at the end of that set. Um, when it got down to 30, 32, I feel like we were making the big plays, and that was really cool to see. You talk about the latter stages of that third set. I mean, it, when it goes past 25, when it goes past 30, how mm-hmm. deep are you digging to try and have the energy to finish off that set and win it and really swing that match toward you guys? Um, I think we train being uncomfortable in those type of situations, being comfortable in the uncomfortable situations um, every day in practice. So when we're in that position, we feel like we can really trust our training and trust each other and be able to go after it. Chatting with Matty Kubik here on Sports Nightly, Huskers in the third round of the NCAA tournament against Hawaii on Friday. Let's talk about your game a little bit. Where have you felt like your game has developed the most from the start of the year to now? Um, I think probably just being um, confident and um, I think in the college game it becomes very important to learn how to tool the block and maybe it's not as important in the high school and club game and so um, I feel like that's been really big. This is a team without any seniors and and you know the best teams are player driven and usually it's the seniors that are providing the leadership. How has that changed how you guys go about things? The fact that there really aren't a, a, there isn't a defined leadership class uh, like there normally is. Um, I wouldn't discount Nicklin or Lauren on not having maturity and being able to lead just because they're not seniors. Um, I think they're very experienced in playing at the highest level and they know um, the right things to say and the the vibe that we need to have on the court for us to be successful. Any lessons you took from that first weekend of the NCAA tournament bef- uh, beyond just, hey, it's the same thing you've done all year? Um, I think just recognizing that there is a sense of urgency and um, we're going to have to play Nebraska volleyball and really play together if we're going to beat all these teams because no one has anything to lose. Do you guys, what's the feeling in the locker room as far as expectations? I mean, on one hand, this is a program that's made it to the Final Four each of the last four years, and yet uh, with the big graduation losses, is there pressure? Do you guys have a sense of looseness because it's such a young team? What's, what's that feeling like? Um, I think we really just go back to leaning on each other and playing for each other, and that gives us confidence to go into the matches and play really hard. Um, And so I think we really turn to that when it gets tough. You guys play Hawaii on Friday uh, up in Madison. What's what's the scouting report on the uh, Rainbow Wahine? Um, Well, we just know they're going to be a good team. And because they run a 6-2, they don't run a whole lot of slide, but they have a good right side. And um, so we're just – and they have a good topspin server, so we're going to really have to win the serve and pass game. That's where it all starts, doesn't it? Usually every every match, no, no different than what you've done the rest of the year. Good luck to you guys as you head up to Madison. Thank you. Maddie Kubik, outside hitter for the Huskers, her first NCAA tournament run with Nebraska Volleyball. One segment left on a Wednesday night edition. Callers and guests into the show, join us on our Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference, purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. I know you're a huge fan of James Harden. Huge. <laughs> got got the home jersey. No, it's not even a home jersey. It's the city jersey, the statement jersey, the association jersey. Huge fan. I saw the uh, this greatest video of this dude heckling James Harden the other day. He was getting mad because it was a whole away game for the Rockets, so I don't know which team they were playing. So this fan of this team that they were playing – Got tired of James Harden going to the foul line. He had courtside seats, and someone's <laughs> recording this video, and he goes, no one wants to see a free throw contest. 
<laughs> I know you hate James Harden, but he had the fastest, most clever response to that ever. And the guy couldn't even finish his sentence. <laughs> and uh, he turns to the fan and goes, no one wants to see fouls either. <laughs> well, he, he is expert in drawing fouls. Yeah. No thanks. Speaking of trash talking and players that we love, did you see the thing that came out with Phillip Rivers today? Oh, yeah. We're, 90 we're- yard touchdown right in the, yeah. the face of Yannick Ngakwe of the, of the Jaguars <laughs> and you wonder why people get annoyed with him and why it's so joyous anytime especially the Chiefs can blow him up and how I mean I know he's got a huge brood that he has to continue to feed but how much longer is that guy gonna keep knocking I, around I am I am fine with if he wants to play till he's not he's already bad yeah you know so like if he wants to play for another i'm totally fine if he just wants to trash his reputation and his legacy if he just wants to like you know eight touchdowns to 24 picks yeah i I am i am happy with that especially to that guy oh yeah and the chargers have to ride him at least as long as drew Brees is with the saints right yeah because i mean breeze is older than rivers and he's been better than Rivers, so they've just gotta they've just gotta ride that out. And unfortunately, that means they're handcuffed to Philip Rivers for the foreseeable future. And I love it. Uh, yeah, I mean he's Poor. bad, and I and I love watching uh, people talk noise to him because it's it's just pure gold. You up for another show tomorrow? I think so. Greg I'm gonna has, have to ice the voice. Yeah, Greg has ditched me for another day. He is out again tomorrow. That's it for us tonight. Thanks to our guests. Thanks to Michael Brunts. Thanks to Lane Grindle. Thanks to Maddie Kubik. Thanks. Appreciate it. I had fun. Thanks same for Same time, me. same place tomorrow. Thanks to help in the back, Josh Hilkeman and Brett Woody. Thanks to all of you for listening. Nate and I back again tomorrow at 6. Have a great night.